This is the VIP Podcast, Virginia in Politics. Let's listen to host Chris Saxman explore the personalities and policies that connect the Commonwealth. The VIP Podcast is brought to you by the VCTA, Broadband Association of Virginia and Virginia Free. The views and opinions expressed here do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the VCTA and Virginia Free or our sponsors. All right, this is Chris Saxman back with you on the VIP podcast. That's Virginia in politics. But hold on a second. We're going out of state for this one. We've got from Dallas, Texas, Dallas parliamentarian Kay Cruz joining us on the VIP podcast. Welcome aboard, Kay Cruz, your new VIP. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Well, thank you for joining us, Kay. Uh, One of the things that I have come to learn about in politics over my long tenured and (laughs) arduous career in politics are the rules. And I think, uh, thank you for coming on, first of all, to talk about what a parliamentarian does and Robert's Rules of Order. But take us through the importance of what you do as a parliamentarian, because I don't think people quite understand how important this is to the political process. Parliamentarians are people who help organizations political and many other types as well, to follow the rules that they have already agreed that they want to follow. That means not only Robert's rules of order, but in political parties, the rules of the party, both at the national and the state level. Uh, That also may mean uh, bylaws. It may mean CCNRs for your neighborhood association. Whatever rules you said you want to follow, A professional parliamentarian is there to help you do that and to know what those rules are so that when there's a question, we can help you know what they are and follow them correctly. Well, I think that's a fascinating way you you described it, helping people follow the rules that they have already previously agreed to. And before we went on live here, we talked about why you enjoy this so much. And you said... You enjoy creating order out of chaos. Is that what you find a lot in the political process with what you do? Describe that for us. Sometimes it is. Frequently, um, I find people who have deeply entrenched beliefs that believe that their side is right. And we all believe our side is right. That's part of the whole political process that we all go through. Right. And so I love helping both sides figure out how to uh, work together to make sure that when we all leave the meeting, we're all still part of the same party and we're all still friends Uh, and how to how to disagree with. And you do a a wide variety of organizations when I. Oh, absolutely. And when we first uh, started this conversation, you were on your way to work in uh, a union dispute, I understand. And so that's not necessarily in the uh, conservative Republican lane. So you you obviously uh, have a variety of a variety of um, clients. That's true. And in fact, when I came to work in Virginia on your ranked choice voting, one of the first groups I called was a kind of liberally oriented national group headquartered in Virginia because I knew that they would see what I was doing and I figured we were going to be on the news and we were and I didn't want them to be surprised and their response was exactly what I would have hoped any of my clients would say which is everybody 
deserves good representation, fair, fair procedures, and someone who is there to help them follow their rules. And well, let's talk about let's talk about the ranked choice voting format that you oversaw here in Virginia as an outsider. It was new to Virginia. It was an important election. There were a lot of candidates. Uh, tell us about your experience with ranked choice voting here in Virginia. Um, I still say it was the single best job I ever had. Um, okay. it was, it was such a good time and there was such good process. Um, the, the party, I had worked with the party previously. I'd been your convention parliamentarian in 2016. And uh, so I was I was a known agent to the party when it came time to do this. And they had reached out to me for recommendations. And I'd said, I could do this. Um, I'd done some study and some work with ranked choice voting. It is not well known. It is not broadly used, particularly in the way that Virginia was going to be using it. Three races. And I, and Go ahead. No, no, no. You, you, you said uh, you, you worked on the campaign. You had three races at one time. Uh, continue in your experience with the Virginia model. So the fact that balloting was going to be by hand and counting was going to be by hand were both unusual. And then when you throw in the vast number of ballots that we were doing, all of the training and education that was going to be required, it, it was truly a bigger job than I think any of us realized when we started. Um, and we were so lucky um, and, and prepared for everything to make it go as well as it did. Well, and, and to your previous point about uh, your goal and having everyone come out on the same page at the end of your job, I, and I think that is what the Republicans experienced in 2021 in May, was that even though there were tensions among the different factions, the different campaigns, they all came out relatively unified. Was that your experience? It, it was. And I think one of the things that helped that the most was that I was not a Virginian. I was a Texan. And I came in there and said, I'm a Texan. I will never live in Virginia. This, this will not matter to me other than as an interesting story. I've got no dog in this fight. And so I'm here for it to be the best possible process that we can have. Well, let's let's talk about the uh, the process you saw here in Virginia and uh, what you think of of ranked choice voting because I would imagine you you're involved in a lot of different elections at a lot of different levels. True, true. Um, the process we used in Virginia was one that we had to create. We didn't have a lot of this, and one of the excellent things that we did was we realized early that everybody had a lane. And we all had to stay in our own lanes. And my lane was nothing to do with casting those ballots. But instead, once those ballots landed at the Marriott in Richmond, Virginia, in that ballroom, then to get them sorted and counted in a way that was fair and transparent and expeditious and to make sure 
that everyone knew what was going on. And I had great support in that from the rules chairman, Steve Albertson, from the party chair, Rich Anderson. I had huge support. Um, there were almost 100 ballot counters that were election professionals that were brought in from across Virginia. I knew one of them when we started because we happened to belong to another group together. Um, so we did a lot of training. One of the things that we asked to do as we went through the process was to do more training. And so every single round of balloting, we would stop. We would prepare new training for what they would see in the next round based on what we'd seen previously. We would conduct new training. Everybody attended. All of my ballot counters, obviously. Party staff from both the state and the national party that were there. And most importantly, we insisted that all of the poll watchers from all of the campaigns had to watch too. They had to know just as much about how to count those ballots so that they'd know when there were problems. They all had colored flags and they'd wave a flag if there was a question. And I ran over one of the things that we had put in the rules early on was that if there was a question about how a ballot would be counted, the decision was the head tellers. In other words, it was mine. And in part, that was because I was professionally neutral. I didn't know any of these people. I didn't care. And so I was able to do it. I've heard it described by some proponents of ranked choice voting that uh, they believe ranked choice voting can strengthen the two-party system by having those individual, the two parties, have the consensus, have the unity uh, coming out of their nominating process. Is that something you, uh, you ascribe to as well? Uh, certainly you, you can. And, and I think ranked choice voting, for it to work at all, you have to have clearly defined rules that the voters, the candidates, and the party know how to process. Um, one, of the, one of the challenges that I see are candidates who, who say, hey, you know, just vote for me all the way across the ballot. Um, that way your vote for me will always count. Right. And, and, and I understand why they'd like to think that way. Unfortunately, that tends to um, potentially disenfranchise that voter sooner rather than later. And that was one of the things that we had happen in the in the May uh, 2021 issues with with the uh, with the Republican primary was people had said, vote for me all the way across. And then once they were out, that voter their ballot for that race was put in the dead ballot pile because there was no one else for us to assign that vote to. Right, right. Uh, people have said it's, it's too confusing, but polls continually show that it's, it's, it's new, it's different, and people adapt to it. Um, and that's been, I think, has that been your experience as well? I see you nodding your head. It, it has. Again, good training is just an essential part of it. Sure. And unfortunately, one of the things that we saw, particularly I'm going to go to the New York mayor's race that happened several months after the um, the Virginia experience, 
and there was not good training. There was not mm. good software. There was not good much of anything. And they really struggled with ranked choice voting there. Um, whereas if they'd had better education um, and perhaps some professional assistance in how they were going to do this process, they might've had a somewhat better outcome. So they, they didn't hire Kay for that one? They did not. Well, that's why, that, see, see, New York should always learn from Virginians and obviously our, our, uh, our cousins in, uh, in, in Texas, because all y'all came from Virginia initially anyway, so it's great, it's great to have Probably you. Probably very true. <laughs> well, let's, uh, I don't want to spend all our time on ranked choice voting, uh, but more and more it's part of the conversation, especially in Republican circles. Conservatives are, are upset with it. They don't think it's you know, the best thing for the, for the party going forward. Uh, my impression is it's a healthy part of the conversation to have a different nomination method uh, that gets a lot of people involved, more candidates involved, create a, a larger field. And this weekend, I was reading the Wall Street Journal, a review of a book of Abraham Lincoln's nomination uh, in 19, 1860, when he was the, the second choice of just about everybody. And he became the nominee for the, for the new Republican Party back in 1860. And can you imagine, again, it was a convention, not ranked choice, but I, the concept of being you know, uh, well-liked by everyone else in the convention really did propel Abraham Lincoln. Uh, in your experience, though, in, with ranked choice, do you see these kinds of changes in the balloting where someone does come from second place to first place? I haven't seen it, but you're, you have far more experience. I, I have seen it, but it's it's fairly unusual. Certainly in Virginia, that was not our experience. The three candidates that had the most votes in the first round generally built on that through right. each of the succeeding rounds. One of the interesting things that happened in Virginia was that every single race went to as many ballots as it possibly could. Hmm. And, and that yeah, at the at the end of the week, we were pretty we were pretty tired because <laughs> that's a so, lot of ballots. It's a lot of counting count and, and and reshuffle. Um, however, yeah, we we also feel very confident, and I believe the candidates all felt confident that the will of the voters had had been fully vetted and considered. What are, what are your uh, what are your experiences with uh, election integrity and making sure the ballots are counted fairly and honestly and and how people viewed it uh, through the ranked choice process? The ranked choice process we used in Virginia had several hallmarks of transparency. Um, first of all, we had cameras on the whole counting room, um, several of them twenty four seven for the whole time. More importantly. As we logged the, the tallies into spreadsheets, we did it twice. The first time it went into a Google Docs spreadsheet that was live on the internet and anybody could go in and mess with that data in any way that they wanted to while it was being entered. Then we had a second computer that was not connected to the internet where the same data was entered into itself. And we compared and contrasted every once in a while to make sure that our data matched. And if it didn't, we went back and found the errors and corrected them and kept logs of the errors as well. So we had good data transparency there. We had a manual count process that was being closely supervised. If you were doing this electronically, 
it is hugely important to know what the rules are that are being used and to know that the ballots are being counted in a way that you expect. That can be done with good testing um, and, and with, with sample runs. Um, but I was looking, I was consulting with a colleague earlier this week on a um, system, and I, I won't name them. It's a it's an electronic system, though, that you can use to vote. And they were bragging about their preferential voting system, ranked choice voting. And one of the things that they talked about was that if you ranked your choice, you had five choices, and you didn't rank one and two, but you ranked three, four, and five, then they'd give the person that you ranked three, they'd move them up to number one. And I told my colleague, I said, I think this is bad because I can't determine the intent of the voter, right? right. That's a huge hallmark of anybody who counts ballots professionally is what's the intention of that voter? And is it three, four, and five are really my top choices or is it one and two are both equally good? I can't choose between them. I can't rank them both number one. So I'm just going to skip that. And these are my bottom three. I, intention of the voter is huge. And so to me, that system has kind of a fundamental flaw, although one thing that you could do to get around that flaw in that particular system is not permit abstentions at all and force them to make that choice. Again, that goes to the, the premise of having the rules agreed to by all the parties going in. And once they all know that. So... <clears throat> Um, so you, in your estimation, uh, we'll just round it out here, you, you thought it was good for the, the individual parties in nominations, but not general. You think they come out with a consensus and unified, which pre helps preserve the two-party system, and it also it has the potential, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, potential to create uh, greater election integrity. Is that fair? I, I think that is fair. Yes. Okay. Okay. I don't want to, again, we, we've covered a lot of ground here. I want to try to put a bow, bow on it for our listeners. I mean, this is election year in Disneyland, but I, for those who are just, you know, fast forwarding through the conversation, I'll make sure that get, you, get, you get that out. Um, in, the, in the world of parliamentarians in the, with other elections, and since ranked choice voting is involved, is, is part of Robert's Rules of Order, correct? That's why you understand it so it well. So well. It is. Uh, where, where do you see elections going in Virginia, or not in Virginia, but nationally, uh, and how the rules can be uh, in, the, in the, the primary and convention processes, how they can be, for lack of a better term, rigged in one direction or the other? How do we keep, the, how do we keep that process fair in, under Robert's rules? So, again, sunshine is always the best disinfectant. So... Clear rules written by professionals, and there are excellent parliamentarians who do work in both political parties, um, as well as with many of the minor parties, and many of those who work with the major political parties also from time to time do work for um, third parties. I know I have um, over the years. So having good rules, having professionals help you develop those good rules, and, and then having ways for, for those rules to be checked and verified. 
and particularly if you're using electronics. Yeah, that was such an issue was mm. the the trust that you wound up putting in various types of technology um, across in 2020. And I'm not going to address that. I, right. you know, that's, that's way outside my lane. But one of the things that the parties can do is within their own rules to have transparency, to have ways that they can check and, and ensure um, their members that their votes are being counted accurately. Yeah, first things first, the parties take care of their own. But I think to, your, to the point that you made very early on in the conversation, having an outsider who's truly objective, who has no interest in the outcome of an election, I think is critical. It's like having a, an umpire uh, not from your own team. And, that's, and, and, and being able to call the balls and strikes as, as, they, as they come to the strike zone or not. Um, and, and is there a way, do you think, to utilize your profession and people like yourself throughout the United States to go into states ahead of time, the battleground states and presidential elections, and make sure these things are set up outside of, frankly, some of the more partisan elements that exist in, every, in some states, not all states, and remove that, remove that um, concern of the voter? Certainly, that's how I first came to, came to know my friends in Virginia politics was for your 2016 convention, you wanted a professionally neutral parliamentarian for the party, and I was sent, and that's, I was, I was the convention parliamentarian for the 2016 convention during a very contested time. Funny story that, of course, by the time we got to Virginia, the only candidates remaining on the Republican side were Donald Trump, Ted Cruz, and John Kasich. And there was a little kerfuffle early in the convention, and the chair had to call me up to explain something he had to say. This is Kay Cruz. She's from Texas, but she's not related to that Cruz from Texas. <laughs> Different spelling. Different spelling altogether. Different spelling entirely. That's funny. But um, that, was, that was part of the experience in 2016, I actually wound up going to, as did colleagues and friends of mine, a number of different states, never our own, because we were potentially partisans in our own state. So I'm less likely to work for the Texas party than I am for anyone else. Um, and, and instead you know, go to Virginia or Oregon or Oklahoma or wherever it is that, that they have need of me. Well, I think we're going to have need of, of many people like Kay Cruz throughout the country to bring some level of assurance to the voting public uh, with all the, the, the partisanship in the media, the partisanship obviously in the political parties. There has to be, in my estimation, a neutral arbiter of our elections who can make sure that they are run fairly, they are run honestly, or they are run transparently so that we have, as a society, as a people, the, 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 the knowledge and the security that our country is doing the right thing for the right reasons. And hopefully when the elections are over, we do have the consensus, we do have a winner, we do have the, the team that didn't win, and we move on and try to live peaceably amongst ourselves. Yes. Is that, is that, is that a fair, 
<laughs> goal. Is that, is that attainable? Let me ask you this. Is it attainable? Can we do that? Are there enough K cruises in the world uh, who can come in and be the neutral arbiters in these, in these states? I, I don't know. I will tell you, though, that I believe that, that there are a lot of us. There are a number of us that, that work together. Um, I'm familiar with parliamentarians that work for the other, for the other major political party. Um, and, and we're friends. We work together. We refer business to each other. We consult together. One of them has had me do some, some consulting for the state democratic executive committee. So because she said, you know, having fair and balanced may, may help us here. Um, so, so that many of us truly take our professional neutrality very, very seriously um, and, and work hard for, for all kinds of good, good reasons. Well, I, I, hope, <laughs> I hope you're training the next generation behind you just as you came in 25, you said 25 years ago, and, and began uh, to work in this, because no one, a very, I think very few people would grow up and say, I want to be a parliamentarian. Um, and it's just, like you said, you were sort of, it was sort of thrust upon you, and you've, you've, you've thrived in it. But from, you know, I think it's one of the, the if we're going to have a strong two-party system, we're going to have different uh, methods of nominations and general elections, but we also have to have you know, the umpires, the objective truth tellers, to make sure people just have some level of assurance in our elections. That's right. Well, Kay Cruz, it's been great to have you on the VIP podcast, available on Spotify, Apple, and YouTube. Please subscribe, like, and share. And if you have a need of a parliamentarian, call Kay Cruz, DallasParliamentarian.com, correct? That's it. Thank you. DallasParliamentarian.com. It's been a pleasure getting to know you, Kay, and we'll hope you have you back on uh, someday soon. Thank you so much, Chris. Thank you, Kay. Thanks for joining us.